Well, I was originally going to be starting a new series that I'm going to be calling This Beautiful Mess. It's actually from a book that I read years ago uh, by Rick McKinley, a pastor in Oregon, and it has to do with the kingdom of God. But I wasn't quite ready to dive into that. I've just been thinking a lot, uh, and so lucky you, you get to hear my thoughts. Uh, you know, it, it's been an incredible month for me. And if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 39. You can open up to Psalm 39 to begin with. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they can get you one. Down here. Keep your hand up and they'll get it to you. Earlier this month, three, or yeah, three weeks ago, my son, youngest son, got married. Uh, and it was a great and exciting thing to be able to actually be a part of the wedding and to I don't know what you call it, officiate the wedding. Um, got a text from them today. They're on their way. Actually, I got a phone call from them today. They're getting on a cruise, and they're going to Jamaica uh, for their honeymoon. And so he's all excited, and they're, you know, they're young in love. And, and so it was exciting to be a part of that and to see him coming to this place in his life as he moves forward. Yesterday, Karina and I celebrated our 28th anniversary, 28th year. I know on Facebook I said 27. I was wrong. Uh, it's okay. She didn't know either. There was a year we lost, okay? And we both kind of remember that year. I mean, it's true. There was one year where we were just beat. We sat down on the couch and we were watching, I think, TV. The children were all small, four year, you know, like four years old and younger. And I was sitting on the couch and all of a sudden it dawned on me, today is your anniversary. And I thought, oh God, I'm dead. I have totally forgotten our anniversary. Oh, oh no, this is the most horrific thing. I've heard about men like me. <laughs> and then I looked over to her and I said, happy anniversary. And she's like, oh! and she forgot too. <laughs> and so I was thankful. That's the year we, we forget that year because it seems to be gone. Uh, but thinking back over the years, even yesterday, I took my wedding ring off. Kareen made me take it off because she noticed that my finger was bulging. Um, and I'd sprained this knuckle about, I don't know, six months ago, and it's just never healed. It like always hurts. I'm like, oh, and she goes, well, let me get the ring off. And it took a while to get my ring off because I've amassed quite a bit of muscle in my fingers. And... I got the ring off, you know, and she sized up the ring and says, oh my gosh, this ring is like two sizes too small. And so no wonder the knuckle wasn't healing. There was no blood circulating <laughs> to my finger. Um, I did it for you, Danny. I was going to join your cause, apparently. I was going to give part of my finger for... Anyway. As I was thinking about these things, I don't know about you, but I, I think often about these important people in my life and events in my life, my son. And I love him and I have a wonderful relationship with him. But I think of how many times I have failed as a father. 
how many times I have not done what I know I should have. And even more so in my marriage. You know, seeing my son and his excitement and talking with him and seeing all the hope and excitement that he has in his heart, it reminded me of that time before I was married. And these dreams I had to to be the best husband in the world. And to know and love my wife and we were going to have the best relationship ever. And then to see my own faults show up time and time again. And fall to my frailty, my weakness, my sin. Circumstances of life. And to be able to look back and say, gosh, look at all the things that I have failed in. Look at all the things that I wanted to see more take place, be more. And here I am, looking back. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came this morning? (laughs) So in Psalm 39, we're going to take a little look at David and journey with him, because I think we can identify so much with him. You see, the mistake is to be defined by your worst moments. The mistake is to not grow past them. Throughout Scripture, we we see examples of people who had failure but then moved past. Some are great examples, some aren't so great. You know, we know of Samson, one of the judges of Israel, and we, we see and know about his failures. I mean, he had some hardships. They took his wife from him, and then he went on this kind of rampage and caused havoc to the Philistines, and we know the story. He gave himself over to things he shouldn't have, to Delilah. He denied his vows as a Nazarite, broke them, lost his strength, was taken, his eyes plucked out, and we think, what a tragedy. Then at the end of his life, he actually brings down the pillars and kills more of the enemy in one moment than he did the whole of his life. We see Saul of Tarsus, how he was persecuting the church, going through and causing just havoc on the people of God, and then God gets a hold of him and changes him from Saul to Paul. And his life moves forward, and now we don't see him just as this destroyer who killed the lives of believers, but we see the one who started many churches and gave us most of our New Testament. And so what was now a a black spot on his resume or history or life, God has changed and moved forward to just be a testimony And I think what we need to recognize is that we have to continue and not allow the worst things in our life to define us and to get stuck. We have to have the courage to move forward and not be defined by our weakness, but allow God to give us strength and try and move forward. Psalm 39, David writes, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. 
but my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up upon wealth, without knowledge whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. When you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Surely everyone is but a breath. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and no more, am no more. As we're going to journey with David. It's something that we need to recognize where he started and where he ended. You know, they say that as you get older, you don't learn things the same way you did when you were younger. When you're young, everything is an experience. You're clay that's moldable and fresh and it seems like everything happens you have the ability to learn as you start getting older it's like that clay starts hardening the brain cells just don't work the same way and so it's harder to grow into these new areas and that's why a three-year-old can learn three different languages a 50-year-old has a hard time just with the one he already supposed to have known if that made sense because that young mind is able to grasp and expand, it has the ability to see beyond what you do as you get older. It's flexible. It's more fluid. But you can learn when you get older. The, the way you learn, though, is through difficulty and tragedy, through extreme events that happen that shock you, that jolt you, that kind of wake you up to something else. It's like you're putting it in cruise control and you're just driving, not thinking until the car slams on the brakes before you and then you have to jolt, slam on the brakes and wake up to the situation. As we get older, it takes those kinds of jolts to really engage our minds so that we can continue learning for most adults. It doesn't happen all the time with everyone that way. But we see that many times that it's through these experiences, both good and bad, that our deepest learning takes place. That's why Hebrews tells us the Lord chastens those who he loves. He disciplines them eagerly. And we see that through David's life. I mean, David is this incredible story. Young shepherd boy. He gets anointed by the prophet Samuel when he's probably between 10, maybe 13 years of age. Prophet Samuel is instructed by God to go and to find this one young boy and 
You know the story. David's dad brings out all his brothers. But he doesn't bring out David. And Samuel says, no, it's not him. Is there some, I'm not going to sit down and eat until you bring me that last son. And finally, David comes out, the one who's out in the fields. And Samuel anoints him. And from that moment on, the Spirit of God was upon him. And his life is being marked by God. And it's a powerful life. We see him at 13 when he comes to his mitzvah and he becomes a young man. He actually goes into Saul, King Saul's household, and is a minstrel there, ministering to the king. Can you imagine? Young boy, the prophet of God comes, anoints me. Now I'm in the king's house. Man, this is incredible. And what an exciting life he's living. And then we know the story of Goliath where David goes to take his brother's food. And Goliath is there taunting them. And he says, why don't you guys do something about this? And I get out of here, you kid. This is man's work. Leave us alone. And in 1 Samuel 17, 45, these words come out of David right before he kills Goliath. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And then he says, I'm going to cut off your head. And he does. And it's this incredible victory. And it's all testosterone. And it's all wonderful. And little boys hear this story over and over and over again when they're young because, oh, man, he slew the giant. He was empowered by God. He did incredible things. We see the wondrous life that David is living and his future is before him. Anointed by God, giant killer. And then he goes and he serves Saul. He becomes his arm bearer. And he's there with Saul, but Saul's got some issues. He's got quite a few issues. Saul's a little bit jealous of David. And so what Saul does is, as David becomes successful, he gives him his daughter, Michal, to, to marry. And then he gets upset with David, tries to kill him. And David is warned by both Jonathan and his wife to flee because Saul's out to get you. And so turn to Psalm 142. We see this young man now on the run. And he's going to be on the run for probably the next 10 years. Psalm 142 takes place during this time where he is fleeing Saul. And, and as this takes place, think about this, okay? I was living for you, God. I was anointed by you. I came to the aid of the army of Israel, slew the giant, brought you glory through the victories and the battles I've won. And now the king is trying to kill me. He writes in Psalm 142, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, 
It is you who watch over my way in the path where I walk. People have hidden a snare for me. Look and see. There is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. And so we see David in this place where he is now being pursued for no just reason. There is no reason he should be here except for the evil of this man Saul, the jealousy of this man Saul. And so David has nowhere to go, but he cries out to God. And some of these beautiful psalms that we read today are written in this time of running for the next 10 years. Have you ever felt like you've been running for 10 years, trying to get away from all the problems that are hammering down on you, and it's no fault of your own? Life circumstances come, and there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to deal with it. I remember when I was working over here in Ontario for a fire sprinkler company, I was in there engineering, and then all of a sudden things got really bad with the economy, and within just a month's time, the place closed. Had no knowledge of what was going to happen. All of a sudden, hey, we're shutting the doors. Sorry. My job. I've, I've got a home. I've got a family. I've got kids. Nothing I could have done. It was out of my control. Ended up having to get a job working for half the money I was making trying to work twice as many hours so I can make just as much money. You guys been there? And it's like, oh my gosh. And you read these psalms and it's like, God, help me. I'm dying here. This is consuming. Nothing I could do about it. All I can do is cry out to you, God. Help me in this situation. And, and that's where David's at. It's not his fault. And he's having to run and he's living on the run from Saul, who has just gone crazy. Saul gives David's wife away to another. Things are dark in his life. Finally, Saul dies. And there's a lot that takes place in this time. David has opportunity to kill Saul, doesn't. He's a man of integrity. He doesn't blank, lash out against Saul. He's trying to live upright before God. Finally, Saul does die. And then David assumes the kingdom, or Judah. He takes over and control of Judah. And then he conquers and reunites Jerusalem so that the kingdom is once again unified. After 10 years of not trying to elect himself, not trying to promote himself, we see that God brings him into a position. He has favor. He comes into this place and he's raised up as king, unifies Judah and Jerusalem, marries a few women, has like five boys and some girls as well. And he starts moving forward now in this place of kingdom. And while he's at war with the nations around him, 
one of his great pitfalls takes place. We all know about it. He's up on the rooftop, sees Bathsheba, lusts after her, takes her to be with him, then kills her husband, Uriah, when he finds out she's pregnant to try and cover his sin. A year later, the prophet Nathan comes up to David, gives him a story. There was a man, rich man, had everything. And he had company over. But instead of killing his sheep, what he did is take his neighbor who had one little ewe lamb and he took that neighbor's lamb, he killed it and served it to his guests. What should be done to that man? David burned with anger. He said, that man needs to be put to death. As surely as God is alive, he needs to die. And Nathan says, David, you're that man. David repents. The child who Bathsheba is bearing dies. And David writes Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteousness and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. When David is confronted with his own sin, he goes back to God. When circumstances were beyond his control, He went to God. You see, what happens to us many times is circumstances happen in our life. You lose the job. The sickness comes. You get the bad news. You're overwhelmed with grief. It's not my fault, God. I don't know what to do. I can't get out of this. And so we quit. We give up. 
Say, I'm done. It's too much for me. I don't want to continue. This is a burden I can no longer bear. And so we stop seeking after God. We stop trying to live a life. After all, I mean, I've lived this life for you, God. I've pursued you. And this is what it comes to. It's not for me. And so many people in circumstances give up because they think that God has promised us some kind of rose garden. And so they give up. It's too much. I don't, I can't do it anymore. David turned to God and said, God, I'm going to find refuge in you in spite of this circumstance. And then he's raised up to this place of king. And we all like that. Yeah, if we go through the hard times, it's good to be king. Great, God, restore me, give me a kingdom. That's great. But then what happens when you fall? When it is your fault, when you are the one who are to blame? What happens when you don't have what is necessary to live the life that you know you should? Then what do you do? Do you quit? I can't do it. It's too much. I blew it. I'm ashamed now. My pride comes up. What do people see? think about me? What are they going to say? I don't want to have anything to do. You know, they, they know about my sin there in the kingdom. They know about my sin there in the family. They're at the church. I don't want to go back there because everyone knows my dirt. And so I'm just not going to go back anymore. I'll find another place to go. I'm going to start another life. I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to leave my kids. I'm ashamed. I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And how many people bail out because of who they are and they can't deal with the weakness of themselves? What David did is he went back to God again. And I don't know about you, but how many times I've read Psalm 51 and said, oh man, that's me. I so identify with this. It's as if he was writing it for me. When I see my selfishness and I'm aware of my hurt, the hurt I've caused to other people, I think, God... Have mercy on me. Man, just, I I wish this would never happen. I wish I was not the man I am. I wish I could get past this. Wash me so I can be clean again, whiter than snow. Oh, how I wish I could get this taken care of. And you see, it's that time where God has the ability to, again, mold you. So what are you going to be molded to? Are you going to harden your heart towards God or are you going to allow him to do a deep work, cleanse you, break you, remove the things that need to be removed, point you in the direction you need to go and continue moving forward? Or do you quit? I'm done. Yeah, I, I blew it. It's over for me. God doesn't love me anymore because look what I've done. And one moment that can be a defining moment to push you forward ends up being a defining moment where you don't have the courage to continue. You give up. You surrender. You call it quits. David continued. He moved forward. It wasn't easy. His son, Annan, 
one of his sons from another wife, not Bathsheba, rapes his sister-in-law or half-sister, Tamar. Tamar's brother, Absalom, finds out about it, is furious, and so he kills Amnon. This is all in King David's household. This young boy who had everything in front of him, who was anointed by God, who, who slewed giants, who, who wrote psalms of beauty and understanding of God, who had to flee for his life and for 10 years was persecuted unjustly, now is in a place where his sin is starting to eat at his whole family. One of his sons rapes stepsister. Another of his sons kills the other son and flees. And finally asks, can I please come back to Jerusalem? David allows Absalom to come back and then Absalom starts, starts an uprising and wins the hearts of the people and then starts to rebel against his dad and then goes at war against his own father. And David has to flee for his life out of the city because Absalom has raised up an army to try and take over the kingdom, his own son. What would you do? How many of us would just say, I'm done. I quit. This is too much for me. David's men fight against Absalom's soldiers. Absalom is actually killed. And when David hears the news, he cries and he says, Absalom, oh, Absalom, how I wish it was me that was dead, not you. And we see this low point in David's life and we think this is the bottom. This is the bottom. He's got nowhere to go. His son has been killed, the one who tried to take over his throne. Oh yeah, he's regained the kingdom, but it's divided and he's a fractured man. His family's devastated. This young boy who had the future before him is just a shell of who he was. You think, well, he's at the bottom. What's going to happen to him now? David continues on and he transgresses against God again. He numbers the people to show that he still has power. And God's not pleased with that and so God tells David, you've got three choices. I can either let your enemies come and conquer you, bring famine to you, or I'll bring three days of plague to you. And David says, oh, let me fall into the hands of God, not into the hands of men. And thousands and thousands are wiped out because of this plague. And it's David's fault. This young boy who had his future before him, this young boy who fell, whose life is now shattered, once again cries out to God, and turn to Psalm 30. Psalm 
as David is now dedicating his son Solomon to be king. As Solomon is going to take over the throne, David cannot build the temple. He's a man of unclean hands. There's blood on his hands. And so he has to have his son Solomon take over. And we see David that he doesn't quit. He continues moving forward. Psalm 30, he says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What it gained, what is it gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. You see, what strikes me about David is this unending pursuit of God. No matter what, there is something that is sure in his mind and in his life, and that is the Lord. When things aren't going right, when there is calamity in his life that is not his fault, when he is unjustly being persecuted and haunted and living in caves and on the run for 10 years, he goes to God and finds refuge in God. And when he utterly fails, is the worst of what a man can be, an adulterer, a murderer, a person of pride and power, and it's exposed to him, he runs to the only sure thing there is, it is to God, and pleads for mercy. And as he declares here, he finds it. Oh, God's anger, it might be for a moment. He might discipline you. He might chastise you. He might correct you and say, hey, get out of this situation now. Knock it off. Any of you heard your parents say that to you? <laughs> Knock it off. And God says that. And he disciplines us. And he repents and he says, I'm sorry, God. And then he does it again. Can anyone relate to that? And God disciplines him again. And David says, you know, his discipline lasts for a moment. His anger lasts for a moment. But there is, after that moment of anger, there is an everlasting life that God gives 
and he can go back to the one thing that is sure, and that's to God. Because God is the only one who can now take the fragmented, broken mess that he is and allow it to be something that moves forward. Only God can take that and make something of worthwhile to it. It's like the woman caught in adultery, and everyone is condemning her. She was caught in the very act, it says. How descriptive can you be? And she's probably there naked, humiliated in front of the multitude of people. And everyone's saying, Moses says we should kill her. What do we do, Jesus? What do we do? The only place she found grace, the only place she could go to and not be condemned was at the feet of Jesus. The same thing is true for you and me. It is the only place you will find solace for your soul. It is the only place you will find forgiveness for your sin. It is the only place where God can take you and move you to be someone else. Do you have the courage to go there? Or will you give up, check out, and call it quits? Will you deal with the problem Allow God to change and create a new heart in you? Or will you continue to live the lie? Will you take justice into your own hands and bring retribution for the wrongs that are done? Will you repay evil for evil? Because after all, it's my rights. They're they're doing me wrong. I'm going to do wrong to them. Or will you entrust God to take care of the situation and be a better man? Where do we go when these things happen? The New Testament, when it speaks of David, speaks nothing ill of him. It says he is a man after God's own heart. It's as if God says, I don't remember that. Remember David, the one who did this? No, I don't remember that. I remember that faithful man. And you see, the only way we can move past the mistakes that we've made is to live in light of the mercy that God gives. The only way we can change from being the man who persecuted and killed Christians to being the person who now is bringing churches into existence is by living in the mercy that God gives. The only way you can take a broken life that is fragmented because of the things happened to you or the things that you've done is to live in light of God's mercy for you and to walk in that mercy. And he can change what was a detriment in your life and make it into something plus. Do you believe that? I have to believe that. If I don't, I have to hide. I have to run. I have, I have nowhere else I can go but to the foot of the cross, to Jesus, and say, if you cannot give me mercy, I cannot stand. If you cannot give me hope, then there is no hope to be gained. All I have is you. I'm that desperate. And at some point in our lives, we all are that desperate. There will be a time where people will fail you. 
And you will have to respond. How will you respond? There will be a time when you fail people and you will have to respond. How will you respond? Do you have the courage to find your refuge in God and continue in spite of what was done wrong to you and in spite of the wrong that you've done to others, will you continue so that you can be a man and a woman after God's own heart? What does that mean? It means he pursued God constantly in spite of what was done to him and what he did to others. I love there's one verse Two verses in First Kings chapter 147, it says, And the king David bowed and worshipped on his bed. He was on his deathbed. This is right after Solomon has been anointed. He's going to be the king. And it says he bowed and worshipped on his bed. I can't get up, but I can be in bed and I'm going to bow and worship. He bowed in worship on his bed and he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a a successor on my throne. To the end, he worshiped. Whatever happens to you and to me, whatever we do, however we fail. Will you be defined by those moments or will those moments be defined by what you do with them? Will you let the hurt that's been done to you cause you to be bitter and now you're a bitter person because of the wrong that was done to you? And that now defines your character, the hurt that you've gone through by King Saul, by your son, Absalom, who tries to kill you. I just heard a pastor, actually Rick, the one who we're going to do that series on in Oregon, a good friend of his, was killed by his son who was on meth, and he found out about it. And the wife was talking to Rick, and she says, Pray for my son. His name was Jonathan. Because all his dad was trying to do was reach him. Will you be defined by those of the worst of moments? And now that scars you and you're hurt and you're bitter and there's a rain cloud over your life because of the wrong that's been done to you by those who you've loved. I've given my life to these kids and they've wronged me and now I'm a miserable person. Or will you live a life that will go on and define what that moment can be? Be able to still give God praise even though this was done. And when you fall, when you fail others, when you are the worst of what men and women can be, and it's exposed, will you let that define you? Will that be the end of who you are? Will you put a period on your life there? This is, I am the one who committed adultery and killed Uriah. 
I'm the one who numbered the people and thousands were dead because of my pride and my sin. Is that your epitaph? Is that where you're going to define yourself? You will not find forgiveness. You will be condemned and live in that condemnation. Or will you go on, as Paul said, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Will you move your life on and let your life define those moments or will those moments define your life? Do you have the courage to keep going on in spite of the hurt that has been done to you and the hurt that you've done to others? Where are you going? Because we're all moving someplace. Where are we moving to? See, I look at my son and I think, oh man, He's got his whole life ahead of him. He's smiling ear to ear. He's sending me texts and pictures of him and his new wife, smiling, happy. We're going away. (laughs) And I remember those days. And then Karina and I celebrate our 28 years being married. And I look back at the young man I was and the dreams I had and all the things that have happened to me on the way through those 28 years. The wrongs that have been done to me, the wrongs that I've done to others. And I have to take stock and say, okay, where where am I going? Who am I becoming? Am I still clay in his hands or am I allowing those things to define who I am? One last passage, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It's one of my favorite verses. Paul's not just talking to those who are already doing good. He just went on to talk about, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. And he's encouraging them, keep sowing. Keep planting things that are good. Keep moving forward. Stay connected to the author of life. Don't give up. Don't be defined by the hurt that's been done to you. Don't be defined by the hurt that you've done to others. Let him continue to define your life by how you continue to live. Have the courage to continue. Have faith in God. Trust in him. Let him be your refuge in times of hurt, in times of need, in times of de- desperation. He is our refuge. Let's pray. Father, when I look at the life of David and I look at my own life and I see similarities, maybe not to the extent that happened to the king. But Lord, I am 
comforted in the fact that you know and you care and you are still at work with each of us. You know the wrongs that have been done to us. You know the wrongs that we have done. You care about who we are. You desire that wholeness in the inward parts. And you are at work constantly to make that happen. Lord, I know that there are some in here this morning who are identifying with one of these places. Maybe they've been wronged or maybe they have wronged someone. And they are allowing these situations to capture their hearts, their minds, their lives. But they're not moving forward. They're being defined by a moment and they're stuck in it. Lord, I pray that they would see that with you, there is the possibility for continued hope, that in you there is life, that though the weeping may endure for a night, that joy comes in the morning, that you are able to take our wailing, our weeping, our desperation, and turn it into dancing. Lord, you're able to get us out of whatever tunnel we're in, but we have to keep walking through. So the one quote says, if you're going through hell, keep going. Lord, let us not get stuck in a place where we are entrapped and don't see you. May your hand reach in, rescue, restore, and revive us, Lord. Thank you for these illustrations, for the truth of your scripture that points out all the blemishes in all these people that we recognize that you have dealt consistently with men and women just like us. And you've seen them through. God, you will see us through if we don't give up. Lord, may we not give up, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.